Keith. It is 8.30 p.m. Atlantic time as we start to record. 48 hours from puck drop for game one, Leafs Habs. What's the vibe? How do we feel? I feel very good. Um, what about you guys? I'm confident. I'm confident. I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I don't, I can't hide it. I'm pretty scared too, but like, I'm confident. I, there's no reason to think that they shouldn't roll the Habs other than the fact that it's the first round and it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, but, um, I'm feeling good. I'm cautiously optimistic as only a Leafs fan can be. Like there's, like you said, Keith, there's no reason that the Leafs shouldn't be able to win this series, but it's the playoffs, it's the Leafs and the Habs. It, it, a lot of times it doesn't even seem to matter which team has the more talent. It's always a battle between these two. And the fact that we're going to see that in the playoffs, finally, you know, anything could happen, but uh, I'm feeling cautiously optimistic. Uh, the, the Leafs should be able to handle them. Yeah. I, I feel really good. I, 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 you know, I understand the, um, the hesitancy because of the history and, you know, we've all been scarred, but I don't know. It just feels different. It feels very different to me. Like it's felt different. I, I, it's felt different all year too. All year it's felt. It, different. it has, and um, I, I think that like the the best comparable I have is like like I, I've had I've had those feelings. I've had the feelings of like you know just having no confidence going in. Even last season, I, I fully looked at that as a coin flip against Columbus. Like I, I I knew that their style was not going to match up well for the Leafs, and um, I didn't really have much confidence in the Leafs to overcome that but this time around I feel a lot more like um going into the you know the the season that the Leafs made the playoffs and face Washington where everyone expected them to be like bottom of the barrel and I was kind of you know let's let's just see how it plays out because I I think that you're underestimating this team a little bit but I mean it's 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 really just Leafs fans doing that I feel like a lot of the the predictions are heavily favoring the Leafs and I think that's totally justified and you know I I think that the the sphincters won't fully unclench until like <laughs> the, you know win number four is in the books right but um, yeah I mean I, I feel as good as I possibly can given the history and given you know all we've been through going into this one um, I, I mean top to bottom like a lot would have to go wrong, I think, for for Toronto, you know, to lose more than a game or two in this series. So uh, that's about as confident as it gets. For yeah, me. yeah. Part of the reason I'm I'm dragging a little bit on the optimism, and I'm again very confident in the, this series. But I definitely got cocky with the Columbus series last year. I thought they were going to to beat up on Columbus, so that got burned last year. Um, and then, like you said previous years i don't think they were expected to win so it kind of i mean it didn't you know the two game sevens against boston didn't you know really help but um it was easy to to kind of get over those ones this one just the thought but we're going to stay positive we're not we're not going to go down that road well let's linger let's linger for a moment let's linger for a moment (laughs) because i I do want to like go there a little bit you know we gotta we gotta respect the name of the podcast and everything um what like what would have to go wrong um like say we're we're sitting back here in 2 weeks and we're moaning about another first round loss how do we get to that point because uh, i feel like like i said there's a lot of things that would probably have to 
go awry at some point, but it would probably start with the goaltending. Yeah, well, I think that they maybe have a little bit of that same element that Columbus displayed against the Leafs last season. Maybe not to the same extent with how much they can lock the game down, but their style does match up well uh, against the Leafs for Montreal, I think. Their ability to just kind of roll four lines and they can trap things up in the neutral zone. But there is a much larger gap between the Leafs and Canadians this season in terms of their performance than there was between the Leafs and Blue Jackets last year. A lot of people seem to forget that the Leafs and Blue Jackets had the same amount of points in the regular season last year. It wasn't... The Leafs were by no means an overwhelming favorite going into that series the way that they are against the Habs this year. But to Cam's point, I think uh, a lot of it will probably come down to the Leafs' goaltending. Uh, that said, I have a ton of faith in Jack Campbell, as I've said all season long. Uh, but any, again, anything can happen in the playoffs. And if he does ha- happen to have a couple of bad games, uh, that could spell disaster for the Leafs. The, but again, I think he's going to be able to get the job done. He's been up to the task all season long. Yeah, I think the only way for me that is, is in the similar vein with goaltending is just basically Price doing what he did to Pittsburgh last last year in the play-in round. Yeah. That's the only thing I can see. And, and again, I I know we like to, to have fun with, with Carey Price because of the bad contract and his kind of poor regular season performance but playoff price is a thing man it is it's a thing and but it's i I don't know like the least again they would they would just have to be a shooting percentage lol and and just a lot of this kind of like perfect storm of everything going wrong um but i like i i don't see it at all i just just don't not not in a seven game series because i still think that in a seven game series they would be columbus last year yeah i I agree a lot has to go wrong for toronto and almost everything has to go right for montreal for this to go their way i think yeah that that's kind of where i'm at like for the habs like they're going to need a a real spike in their shooting percentage um you know they're going to need to get hot and right now you got ducharme saying that they need to lean on experience not you know, um, guys like Caulfield and, and Kokaniemi and, and, you know, say what you will about Kokaniemi. Like, I, I, I don't know if he's good, if he would be an X factor, but Caulfield, like he's been real good. And as a Leafs fan, I love to see that he is sitting on the sidelines, you know, until they maybe get behind the eight ball and feel like they need the goals and need to roll them out there. Because to me, like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into the Leafs lineup here in a little bit, but like, it looks like Galchenyuk will sit for game one and it's a little bit of a different calculus for the Leafs, right? Cause they're the heavy favorite and you know, you don't need to rely on Galchenyuk to make, the difference in a close game maybe he could and maybe that's why you might want to dress him but um you know as opposed to on the hab side of it where you have this guy who is such a talented scorer and you know you need the goals like you know you're going to have to pot a few on on this team because of the the firepower at the other end and you're kind of playing the wait and see game with a guy who could be a, a game changer for you until you know you feel like you you maybe need him once you're already trailing I, I i i love it as a leafs fan um from that perspective but you know if, if the habs get hot in terms of shooting um you know goaltending obviously is another thing and and special teams like you know the leafs power play has been steaming shit for <laughs> months and uh, you know I, I don't see any reason to think that that that's gonna 
be a switch that flips in the playoffs. Um, so, you know, I, I guess the worst case scenario would be the Habs and, and some of their larger defensemen kind of take liberties, um, are able to slow down the Leafs and are not called uh, appropriately for that or are called appropriately and the Leafs are unable to do anything with it. And, you know, the Habs are uh, become a threat shorthanded or, or whatever. Like there, there are a few ways this could go south. But um, I mean, I, I just... All I can think of are the expectations and the hell that there would be to pay if you go out to the Habs in the first round at this point. And I I just can't imagine the team that we've seen this year um, doing that right now. Yeah, I don't even want to let that thought enter my mind because, you know, as Leafs fans, we've, you know, seen an awful lot of suffering in terms of being sports fans. I, I don't think that we've seen anything that would match going out to the Montreal Canadiens in the first round of the playoffs under these circumstances. No, banish it. Banish the thought. There's no need. Listen, <laughs> a lot a lot of things can happen. Anything can happen in a seven-game series. This is not going to be a seven-game series. That's right. It's just not. That's right. It's not. Uh, I feel good. Apparently, the Habs can... Uh, have fans in the stands if they make it to game six at home. Um, and, I'd, and that's I'd love my to see dream it. scenario. That <laughs> is my dream scenario. Leafs in six, the first night that the Canadians have fans back in the building. That that would be awesome. Would be a great start to a, a nice playoff run. So that's what we hope for. Um, but there are a couple of things to talk about lineup wise. You know, the, the top six is kind of settled in, I think, um, the way that we expected it to, but uh, some, you know, quirks in the bottom six that, that we could kind of toy around with here. Um, specifically with Riley Nash at third line center, you know, that's a guy that has been kind of a question. Is there a, a planned role for him? Was he just depth, uh, especially with, you know, the team going as well as they have been. And uh, he's centering the third line between McKayev and Kerfoot. And then you have uh, Spezza, Thornton and Simmons. And I don't know how I feel about that fourth line. Um, My biggest concern is that Spets is going to be relied upon to actually play center. You know, he's taken a lot of face-offs this year, but he's usually playing on the wing after the puck is dropped. Uh, I think that's going to be something to watch for, how, how he can match up with maybe the speedier bottom end of the Canadians lineup. Yeah, that's something that the fourth line scares me a little bit. I don't think Montreal's fourth line's any better. Maybe a little faster for sure. No, and Spets has um, had an outstanding season. It should give him a little more credit. 100%. But that's taken place on the wing for the most part. And he, but he can still be the guy that, that kind of you know drives the play and carries the puck and kind of you know does that stuff he can still move um but yeah he doesn't have exactly have a ton of speed on his wings but he does have guys that can you know dump and chase so it could it it could very well slow down the fourth line of of montreal but it's it's something that i i i didn't see nash coming in with that big of a role um not you know not playing uh, a game yet i i think it speaks to the fact that sheldon keep just doesn't really trust kerfoot as a center or at least likes him a lot better on the wing. Um, but something that I thought was interesting that I, I've been kind of thinking about for a little bit and, and had buddy Leo mention it too, is, is if, if that doesn't work out in the bottom six and maybe there's a need for some more scoring um, and, and Galchenyuk slots in at some point in the series is 
third line center something that you could see Felino taking over at that point and Nash dropping down to, to the fourth line center. I just didn't watch a lot of Columbus Blue Jackets hockey <laughs> this year, so I don't know how much Nick Felino has played center this year. Um, what, do you, what do you think of that? I think that it, it would be kind of tricky to make that move having not seen him play in the middle with the Leafs at all. We were talking before we hit record about uh, game five against Columbus last year and how Keith kind of just threw something at the wall, put Nylander in the middle on the second line with Tavares up top with uh, Matthews and Mariner. And it was just kind of a strange time to do that. So I, I think it would sort of be in a similar vein if they were to kind of panic and throw Felino into the middle just out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that except for the fact that they're doing that with Nash anyways kind of right now so it's yeah that's a great point yeah I don't know it's, it's just something to think about like as I think if you're going to try to get if Galchenyuk does end up coming in at any point in this series it's likely going to be for Mikheyev unless like Thornton or Simmons are you know a liability or something but I don't see that happening so it's probably Mikheyev and then you know where, where does Felino go so it's yeah, I don't know Again, yeah, that's hopefully, interesting. Uh, hopefully, not something that we have to see. Hopefully, these these twelve forwards just get it done, and there's no tinkering that needs to be done. Yeah, I think we will see tinkering. I, I think it's you know just because of how strongly everyone's been going. I, I could see that you know someone doesn't look so hot. They, they you know especially in those first few games, like maybe maybe they settle on a lineup eventually, but. Um, when you're trying to work Nash into it and trying to find where guys fit, like it's it's not an uncommon situation to to get into in any sport where you know you're going into the playoffs and you haven't had your full lineup healthy, right? Like it's it's not a super rare thing, but it's still something you have to adjust to. Like it's still um, yeah. it's kind of a weird dynamic, especially you know it's one thing when it's just guys who've been injured, but it's another when it's you know guys who. Um, have been injured and, and you know where deadline acquisitions have never really dressed for you so it's it's a strange um, strange kind of thing to, to try to balance so I, I feel like we'll see a, a bit of swapping around in that that bottom six but um, yeah I'm curious to see where it, where it ends up because yeah I don't uh, I, I don't think that necessarily Nash is is going to be the guy you want at 3c the whole time but I don't know who the you know, obvious replacement is, especially, you know, like if, if Felino's clicking nicely in the top six, you, you don't want to disturb that. So yeah, it's tough. Injuries are something important to bring up though, because it, it, like, I don't think we can, I don't, I know we've said it before, but like, I don't think we can overstate just like how much depth there is up front. If, if injuries do happen or you, and on the back end, like just the fact that you've got, you know, Brooks who played really well all year, you know, Engvall is what he is, but he's still an NHL forward. Uh, you know, the, there's there's guys that are ready, and obviously Galchenyuk. Like they they've got three very good options, and that's before you even start to kind of look outside of who's been playing lately. So it's it's nice that you know, barring like obviously a, a huge injury to one injury to one of the you know big guys, but like there's lots of depth if if a you know somebody like a McKayev or Kerfoot goes down, or you know in, in in the first round. Yeah, lots of options in the bottom six, um, but ultimately it's going to come down to the top guys, right? It always does. Um, you know, I've been watching obviously uh, the the early playoff action so far, and it's like it's uncanny, right? Like the game one there on Monday night. Uh, for the Avalanche, you know, tight game, 1-1 coming into the third. Nathan McKinnon breaks it wide open. Brad Marchand um, 
overtime winner. Like it's it's the big guys, and you know you need Matthews going, Marner, uh, Tavares. Thankfully, has you know really been cranking it up later in the season. Um, you need Nylander going as well against you know a team that is going to try to try to box you up and try to trap you in the neutral zone. Nylander's got to be a weapon to to you know aid the transition game. So like you need your top guys to 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 really bring it and that's always going to be the case and that's I guess ultimately why I feel so good going into it is that like they you just know that the Habs don't have anything to, to, to stop those guys as well as Weber and Petrie can muster playing in a seven game series. I just don't think they're going to have it in them. Weber's coming back from an injury. Um, I mean, th- th- they need to make it happen, but I, I, I feel pretty good about that going into it. I think, I think uh, Tavares and Nylander are going to be really important in this series because Montreal is likely going to feed Austin Matthews a pretty solid diet of Philip Deneau. And we've seen that Philip Deneau can be one of the absolute best defensive forwards in the NHL. Mind you, I I still believe Austin Matthews is going to come out on top in that matchup. But there is the chance that Deneau will be able to neutralize him somewhat. I think that the way that Tavares and Nylander have been playing in the last few weeks is a really encouraging sign for the Leafs heading into the playoffs because if Deneau is able to neutralize Matthews and Mariner on that top line at all, it's going to be really important for Tavares and Nylander to win their matchup more often than not because I think the depth of the Canadians could give the third and fourth lines trouble. So Nylander has kind of been quiet in the playoffs in the past. I think this is a, a really big moment for him to kind of shift the narrative in that regard and Mariner took a lot of flack last season for the way he played against Columbus and you know that quote after game one where he was talking about how he didn't feel like he had it that night he has to have it when the puck drops uh, for game one on Thursday night and I think that if him and Matthews are able to do anything at all and Tavares and Nylander continue their strong play from the latter part of the season it shouldn't be a very long series yeah that's the point that I think watching the, the first games, you know, and seeing Ovi go out and score and seeing Kucherov and Point take over a game, it's like, if Matthews is Matthews and Marner is Marner, this isn't even going to be close. And, and and that's, that's like all of this, like, you know, bottom six matchup and, and, you know, how, how they can slow it. Like none of that kind of like strategic stuff matters. If Austin Matthews just goes out and scores two goals every game and, you know, like does what he's capable of doing. And I don't feel like that's a crazy expectation for him to just take over a series because we've seen him be dominant all year, but I don't know if we've seen him be that dominant in the playoffs yet in his young career. I I think he's ready for that now though. I do too. He looks like a different player. I think more than anyone else on this team, he kind of personified what made the the team different this season. He came with like a totally renewed intensity and just the way that he carried himself out on the ice. He, he just was dominant all the time in all facets of the game. He's using his body more, just kind of realizing that he's better than practically everybody, in the anyone league. that's going to be <laughs> on the ice. Yeah. Yeah. And he's always been cocky, but he's like next level fucking cocky this year, which is great to see. Like that's what he needs to play. I think like. there's a competitiveness and intensity in Matthews that we haven't really fully seen to this point that's 
going to come out in the next couple of weeks here and i am excited to see it yeah um i'm excited too we, we've got a matthew's question coming up uh we've got a, a little mailbag uh here that we'll get to momentarily um before we move on from that just another thing on the hab side and like Obviously, it's going to be, you know, social media is going to be a tire fire. Um, it's it's going to be a hell of a couple of weeks uh, for this series. Um, really disappointed that we're not going to see Jonathan Drouin as part of it, even though, you know, we're Leafs fans and, you know, he, he would obviously add like a, an offensive dynamic release would have to account for. Um, not really sure what the situation is there, but he's taken a personal leave. He's away from the team. He's not expected to, to rejoin anytime soon. So just wish him all the best. Like that's a guy who started with the Halifax Mooseheads. Um, you know, I've I've loved watching him ever since he was a teenager playing playing in Halifax and uh just really disappointed not to not to be able to um to to watch him play in this in this series because um yeah i mean it would have been a lot of fun and obviously it's a big deal if uh, you know you, you don't have the um the francophone uh, quota met um in the lineup so that, that's that's been an issue over the last couple of weeks with him out but uh, we, i just want to wish him all the best and uh, yeah in all seriousness yeah definitely wishing the best to drew yeah yeah, I, I realized that, you know, I think after we recorded a recent podcast, just before he announced the, this leave from the team, I, I kind of realized that my entire, like, hockey f- watching life has built towards all the Jonathan Drouin jokes I could have made in this first round series. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously won't be making any Drouin jokes. Just uh, want to wish him all the best again. And, and hopefully, um, you know, he's all good. So, um Okay, before we get to a few questions, just wanted to shout out the uh, PWHPA, which uh, they just had their Dream Gap tour in St. Louis on the weekend, and now they're going to wrap things up, kicking off uh, May 24th in Calgary. Um, looks like a pretty busy schedule, pretty much daily games um, for, for that week, kicking off uh, the 24th, so um, the, the Calgary, Toronto, Montreal teams taking part in that. That should be fun when uh, Leafs start in action. Lots of hockey for you to, to check out. Um, obviously, playoffs are going on, but uh, these are earlier games too. Like these are daytime or like suppertime games. So these are uh, good good uh, kind of primer for, for the night's action, I suppose. Okay, let's get to a couple of questions here. Um, first one, sticking with some lineup chat. Uh, this one from Mike Amato. If Bogosian is healthy, who makes up the third pair? Uh, and it looks like Bogosian is going to be good to go. He's returned to practice. Um, he's on like the fourth D pair kind of thing in the um, in the lines right now. Um, wh- but was wh- that just kind of a you know easing him back into get practice? Your feet wet. After, yeah, yeah. I think he's going to be yeah. in there if he's if he's good to I go. Think so I think I think he plays game one. So um, he's on the right side this point you know this has been a talking point Dermot or, or Sandine um, I, I gotta say I was uh, surprised to see Sandine out at the end but I guess that was more cap related for to get Freddie back in right than anything yeah um, yeah so I mean do we do we think Sandine just goes right back in there and Dermot Dermot's the odd man out yeah I think it's pretty clear by the way they've been operating at practice they've got Sandine on the top power play unit in place of Morgan Riley they're yeah. using him in all kinds of other situations. Uh, I think that uh, his short audition at the end of the season here was uh, enough to earn him a spot in the game one lineup. 
And uh, it, it's not a criticism of the way that Dermot has played that he looks to be on the outside here for game one. And to have him as the seventh defenseman with the way he played on the third pair this year going into the playoffs, uh, I think that's a pretty good place to be. They're a lot better fucking spot than they were last year on the blue line going in. <laughs> yeah. So Travis Dermott was playing top four minutes against Columbus last year. He had a better season this year than he did last year, and he's the number seven guy going in by the looks of things. So, yeah, Kyle Dubas has done a pretty good job rebuilding this blue line, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Sandine is definitely going to be the guy with promotion for game one. And I say, like, I'm I'm not – I'm maybe not as big of a Travis Dermott fan as, as Nick is, but I'm, I'm not a Travis Dermott hater by any means. And Sandine did more – in his, you know, few games towards, you know, down the stretch to, to impress me than, you know, Dermot did all year. And that's not necessarily, you know, that big of a, of a kind of indictment on, on Dermot. He doesn't play the same type of game as Sandine, but I just think, you know, no. And I think to that point, Keith, there's a little bit more of like risk reward sort of thing with, with Sandine, you know, Uh, I think Dermot has proven to be really solid defensively. You kind of know what you're going to get. Once again, he led Leafs defenseman in expected goals against per 60 minutes played this year. Yeah. But he doesn't have that element that Sandine does to drive play forward and be a weapon on the power play and just kind of create things out of nothing. So, and I'm okay with that risk reward on the third pair. I think like, absolutely. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's going to help with depth scoring. It's going to, you know, sort of secondary scoring. It's, it's, yeah. I just think that Sandine is just ready. You know, he's ready to, to be that guy that, that steps in. And then obviously the, the special teams help uh, is, is big too, where that's not something that Dermot was able to, to kind of capture a role. In. And I so think that's a really big factor. I'm excited for that pairing, just knowing that it's two guys that can get quite physical, um, you know, and if Sandine there might be a little bit of an element of like what Brody is to Riley, you know, to, to allow Sandine to be even a little bit more, you know, offensively uh, minded, knowing that he's got a guy out there that's going to be back for him. Um, I, I think it's a really interesting pairing. I think it's, I think maybe obviously similar to the Nash thing, just like you don't really have like a, you're going into it a little blind where you haven't really seen them play together all that much, if at all. So that, that maybe is the one concern, whereas you know what you have with Dermot and Bogosian. But again, risk reward on, on the third pair, I'm, I'm pretty okay with it. You can always go back to Dermot Bogosian too, right? And you can always go back. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and I think that the the almost to the point I made about Nylander and needing someone who can navigate the neutral zone, right? Like Sandine can do a better job of that than Dermot can. Yep. So, I, so I think right. from that perspective, you want him in yeah. and... Um, you know, if you're going to sacrifice a little bit of the, um, you know, a little bit of the possession game and a little bit of the skill up front by having, you know, those veteran guys um, that you've leaned on up and down the lineup and and, you know, you're going to scratch Galchenyuk. And I think that you want to try to um, milk every bit of, you know, um, possession you can out of out of your uh, blue line core, especially if you've got a guy who. Uh, you know, could could potentially make special plays for you. So um, I think he's a guy who could do that and could make an impact. Um, rolling this into some questions from our pal Leifer, 1984. Um, he, one of his questions was, how will Sandine play? So I think we've kind of covered that. Um, 
can Riley play better? Loaded question, Lever. Loaded <laughs> question. And possibly a question that will get me loaded several times uh, during the playoff run. Um, I I mean, he's got to, right? Like, it, it's, it's... I just want him to quiet things down a little bit going into the playoffs here. The gaffes just can't be so gaffy yeah like like they just can't be as bad as they have it just has to have a little more awareness on those pinches and things like that he like leaves brody out to dry so often but that being said like if you look at his game score like if you look at the dom lucision game score he's still the best defenseman on the Leafs, right like just because of what he can do offensively so it's you know he can obviously play better but i i do think that it's just so visible when he fucks up that it maybe gets over kind of kind of, but like, but it's, but it's decision-making too, right? Like it's, and that's yeah. the thing about the playoffs is like you, the decision-making tightens up so much, you know, it's, it's only good decisions. And to me, if I'm Montreal, like I, I want that guy making as many decisions as possible because like, he just doesn't have a good penchant for, you know, uh, you know, making the right play at a crucial time, it seems like. And I mean, again, like this is a guy who who still brings a lot. But if you're looking at it from the perspective of like, um, you know, a guy who takes uh, carries the puck up the ice 20 times a game and, uh, you know, is successful 80 percent of the time versus a guy who, you know, gets it right all of the eight times he does it. Or, or whatever like it's it, it, he just has to pick his spots a bit better he has to read um just make better reads and kind of retreat like he, he just attacks so much and like can linger down low and it's just going to get turned around on him so so much more quickly in in the playoffs and you just you can't have it i think it's a bit of a tricky proposition with riley because you know we've been talking about the way that the Habs are going to try and clog up the neutral zone and how it might be difficult for the Leafs to break that down and create entries and and play a strong transition game. But the way that Riley activates, you know, on the weak side in transition and joins the rush, I I think he could play a big role in being able to, to break that down and help establish offensive possessions for the Leafs. But he does, he can't, be making those glaring mistakes at this time of year. He, he doesn't want to have those Jake Gardner moments. Yeah. And there have been quite a few of those this season where it's just like, there was no reason for him to pinch in that situation, or there was no reason for him to take this guy on the wide side, defending the rush. It, it, if TJ Brody can only make up for so much, and he did a fantastic job this season of kind of insulating things behind Morgan Riley. But I, I don't think that asking him to do that as often in the playoffs is a recipe for success. Yeah, I think the kind of the magic thing or the magic kind of equation here is like how much, and you know what? I don't even know how much of it is, how much offense does he have to sacrifice to make up for better defensive play? Because I I find that it most of really. the mistakes, yeah, because most of the mistakes that I see with him is just situational awareness and decision making in the defensive zone, and that doesn't necessarily mean that if you tighten that up, that you become a more conservative player on the offensive side. Because I don't, I mean, he does make the bad pinch here and there, but I think I think everybody's okay with a bad pinch, knowing you know once in a while, knowing what he brings offensively. But it's it's the it's it's just the defensive zone positioning and awareness and 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 kind of just 
that that has been where I think he could tighten up a lot and not see any kind of sacrifice to the rest of his game. Uh, I liked your point, Keith, about how when Riley does fuck up, it's just such a glaring thing. It's almost the exact opposite of what we talked about with Dermot a couple of weeks ago. But when he's being or when he's effective, it's because nothing is happening. And it's difficult to notice that sometimes when he's shutting down plays yeah, in the neutral zone. 100%. And it's the exact opposite with Riley where he perhaps doesn't get enough credit for some of the things he does very well because when he does make those mistakes, it's just so obvious to everybody that's watching. Yeah. yeah. My problem, I think, is just with um, like odd man rushes are just such a golden goose in the playoffs like if you're if you're giving that opportunity like the the other team is is just they're devouring it every time so it's you know how how can he be a little more low than without you know while still still being able to navigate the neutral zone and, and helping you beat the trap um but not like you know not going deep just because the opportunity's there to to rush it below the goal line um and you know lingering there when yeah. when um because like that that's sometimes it's just it's it's all it is it's uh he, he takes the wide loop around behind the net hoping that a rebound's going to score it out to him or something and by the time he, he does that it's in the neutral zone and it's he's got no hope of getting back and like teams are just going to pounce on that every time in the playoffs and it's not to say you can't do it you just you have to read the situation and and you know make the decision a little better than he's been making this season and, and really throughout his career um, because, you know, the, the team is not, the, this isn't the, the, the team that does that anymore. This is, you know, the, the, the play style has changed and he has to make that adaptation. He's been slow to adapt in the regular season. And he's he's got to get there for the, the playoffs because like it's, I mean, you think he's been wearing the goat horns at times this season, like, and it hasn't always been fair, but Oh, if he, if he gets, you know, if he wears a few of those odd man rushes for goals in the playoffs, especially if it's an early exit, it's going to be a rough summer for Morgan Riley. Oh, yeah. Well, we didn't see we didn't see any Jake Gardner after that game seven. So uh, it could be a very similar yeah. situation if, if he does that. I'm just glad that even though Leifer asked us a question that didn't have anything to do with Travis Dermott, I managed to get it in there a little bit. <laughs> uh, Leifer also asked about, um, can the forwards play well when Montreal starts trapping? And, you know, we've talked about trying to beat, uh, beat that trap with speed and through the neutral zone and carrying the puck, which is important, but they're also pretty well equipped to play the dump and chase game, right? Like they, they've got the personnel, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit with Simmons on the last pod, like they, they can, they, they can play that game if that's what you want to do a, a little bit better than in the past now. That's part of the reason why I was so big on not having that Hyman on the third line that Keith seemed to like early in the year. Is just I think that Matthews and Marner are at their best with Hyman and then you have Felino doing the same thing with Tavares and Nylander. So if, if the neutral zone is clogged up and Nylander or Marner can't, necessarily you know weave through it as easily as as maybe some of the other teams in the division they can flip the puck in and have Hyman and Felino go chase it down and then you know and Tavares and 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 Matthews are two guys that are you know pretty good down low with the cycle with retrieving pucks and getting pucks back they may not be as physical as the other two guys but if you have a Felino and Marner go in and throw a hit and have Tavares and, and Matthews be the two guys that are coming in to clean it up that's that I think they're very well equipped to do that. Okay, I'm going to skip over this question from Harry. Uh, not because it's not a good question and 
excellent content, but I just don't want to go there yet. Like I'm, I'm confident. I'm not confident to answer who does Tavares hand the cup to first. Oh we'll, yeah. I forgot. I forgot about that. We'll hold off on that one until maybe the final, but I do want to answer it. <laughs> uh, so let's get to um, one from Cody Connolly. Uh, Predictions on how many times Matthews scores in this series. I'll go there. Like that's, I'm willing to get that cocky. Uh, although not too cocky. I'm going to say three goals. I, I think that that's, I think that's a pretty good amount for four or five games. Um, so let's say <laughs> three goals for Matthews, but three horny, horny goals. Like these are, the Leafs are, you know, goals are hard to come by in the playoffs. So like, I think three goals, that's a good series, but they're going to be horny. Yeah. I'm going to go four. And and that's to go along with my six-game prediction. Um, four four goals in six games. I think that's very attainable for for, for Austin. Yeah, I'm with Keith. Uh, I, I've got him for four and six. So uh, that, that was my next question. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. And we are going to continue with a little Patreon episode, answer a few more questions. But um, series prediction... Uh, if I'm hearing right, you guys both have Leafs and six. Yep. Crushing, crushing the hopes and dreams of the 2,500 Canadians <laughs> faithful in the crowd. Hopefully we get another up close shot of a child crying. <laughs> I will say I am filled with dread at predicting the Leafs <laughs> to win anything. But <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Here we are. <laughs> no, and I'm, I'm Leafs and six as well. Boring as that is, we've all got the same prediction. I, I was kind of leaning more like Leafs in four or five personally i did predict leafs and six for like the nhl.com bracket challenge I, that, that was so that's my official prediction but i kind of wanted to just you know get a little a little cockier for the pod but now that we know that the habs could have fans for game six yeah it's it's got to be it right yeah hurt says hurt says four head says six um all right keith let's wrap this up uh new album from the backstays we're, we're on a backstays kick so let's let's hear let's another keep one pumping it. let's keep it rolling yeah. baby what do we got keep, keep the shameless self-promotion going. it's our uh, fucking show we can do whatever we want exactly <laughs> um yeah so uh i i kind of teased a little bit of something last week and it's not all fully out there yet but there's a piece of it that uh that i can kind of share so the song that we played on last week's pod Forever Gold Bricks um, was featured on the Sportsnet at the Letters podcast, the Blue Jays podcast with Arden Zwelling and Ben Nicholson-Smith. So we closed out that show on the Sportsnet podcast last week, I think. So that was pretty cool. Um, Hopefully a little bit more to come on that. Um, But uh, the song that we're going to go out with this week is a track called Waiting. Um, This is one that, uh, you know, we kind of wrote, a while back and was probably the song that we were playing live the most um, or the longest before we actually went into the studio and recorded the the second batch of songs that we, we recorded. Um, it's, it's a bit more of an, a kind of upbeat song. Um, like I said, we, the song, the album was co-produced by Romish uh, Tavanathan from Hey Rosetta. And if any of the songs kind of have a Hey Rosetta kind of uh, vibe to it. If anybody's familiar with that band, it's probably probably this song. Um, it does feature uh, Serena, um, our multi-instrumentalist. She was playing the violin on this song. Um, so it's pretty cool. So uh, check it out wherever you find music. The song's called Waiting. <laughs> Thank you.
So there 